0: For just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com.
1: MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop. 24 7 with superfast shipping. MidwayUSA.com.
0: Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Elk season is not over, y'all, not by a long shot. Late season elk hunting can be one of the best times to fill a tag and put meat in the freezer. Whether you're looking for that mature bull, a spike, or a cow. And don't be fooled. A cow or spike elk hunt can be one of the most exciting and epic hunts you've ever had. Yeah, buddy. And that's coming from guys with a lot of elk hunts under our belts. On today's show, it's all about hunting late season elk. Knowing what you're looking for, where to find them, how to hunt them, and tips to help you along the way. Those topics along with our Elk Bro Shoutouts and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting.
2: Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by elkbros.com. With your host, Gilbert Nellis and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? and They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters.
0: Hi hello there everyone if it's your first time with us glad to have you hope you enjoy our show and for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week welcome back to elk camp i'm gilbert ornelas the host of your show coming to you from spring texas and from Katy, texas the one and only the founder of the venezuelan mafia (laughs) (laughs) Luis and from cimarron new mexico our elk hunting coaches uh, Joe, Gillia and Leroy Chav Chavez. Good,
2: good afternoon, good evening, guys. How are y'all doing? What's man, up? So slick, man. He just knows how to put the founder in there, which doesn't necessarily mean the leader. But you know, it's just like getting better, oh, man. I'm going to cry all night long. You know, it's just, you know it's just, I'm just like I'm going to have to call for a vote.
1: what what you're gonna need to do bro is you just need to get you some john lennon shades like our brother over there
3: talking about about that
1: jack nicholson look he's got going on man (laughs)
3: i'm
0: gonna go get my shades and join the parade man say something everybody can see
1: you
3: it's real bright in here. <laughs> yeah, it's so bright I gotta wear shades. Oh, yeah, you know, man! But he
1: looks smooth, though, man. I mean, it just know. makes, it just yeah, it just
2: has it's that smooth. effect. He's got man. that flow, you know, and the, the collar matches the El Bros logo in his hat and all. Cool, and
0: like the other side of the
2: pillow, babe. That's right. You, you, you know <laughs> what,
1: uh, Luis? I think if you had some glasses like that, that might legitimize that uh, whole leader. That title. The title, the yeah,
0: yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. No, I agree. You're I agree. Real. I'm gonna have to think about something like that. To get, yeah. Earn some, gain some respect around. Gotta here.
0: have some street cred, boy. Well, oh, that's why
2: he went
1: for the facial hair, just to get a little bit, <laughs> yeah. of help, to to put on that air of
2: me.
0: He believe it or not, Chapo.
2: It was the only way that I could get Joe to tell me this season is like, you finally look like an elk hunter. And I was like, <laughs> internally, I was like, yeah, I know it's the beard. Yeah, the, not the baby face. <laughs> no shortcuts, things. bro. There's no shortcuts. <laughs> do, no not, shortcut. do not let our
1: grinders out there think that that's going to be a key, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, we got something cool coming up, huh? and uh we'll start it off with, hay grinders. Hey, hey grinders. grinders. Hey, grinders. Hey, grinders. Hey, grinders. It's episode 94, y'all with Elpic elk bros event right around the corner. It's the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast, 100th episode.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and we are looking for two of our grinders that want to join us, the elk bros, on our 100th episode of Blue Collar Elk Hunting. So if you want to join us, here's what you do. All right, first, tell us about your journey as an elk hunter. It doesn't have to be just this year.
2: Just your entire journey as an elk hunter, and two, why would you want to join us in our 100th episode? It
0: doesn't matter if you did or didn't punch your tag this year, or if your hunt is still coming up. We'll be selecting two grinders and giving gear to some of those that ride in as well.
1: Yeah, there we go, man. Amen. I, I, you bet I you can't wait till that 100th episode <laughs> hits, man. I'm, I'm, it's going to be cool to see all this come together.
0: Guys, you know what time it is. Shout it's time out. for the shout Elk out. Shout, shout Out. out. Shout if you're new out to
1: our show, I
0: usually shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week.
1: Yep, and first up, this top listening city received its current name in 1899. Uh, Gilbert, you remember that date, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Because of its location. (laughs) I bet you do. Because Mm -hmm. of its location at the highest point along the Illinois Central Railroad between Memphis and New Orleans. Originally named the Highland Colony. Guys, you might find yourself having to do a double take in confusion if you're driving down Interstate 55 here. That's because this city has a 190-foot scale replica of the Washington Monument visible from the road. That is actually a fiberglass obelisk that houses antennas for many of the nation's popular cell phone carriers and it's right here in ridgeland mississippi Ew! ridgeland mississippi 601 hands what's that (laughs) that's
0: an area code over there in mississippi 601
1: oh 601 i I would not know that you lived there didn't you
0: no my uncle did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: hey, Mississippi, man, it's so great to have you
2: leading the charge, man. East is coming in. Sounds good. And next up, we have um, this place separates the Gulf of Mexico from Laguna Madre, one of the few hypersaline lagoons in the world. It is the longest stretch of undeveloped barrier islands in the world. The park protects 70 miles of coastlines, dunes, prairies, and wind tidal flats teeming with life. It's 100 miles from South Padre Island on the same barrier reef, and this is Padre Island National Seashore, Texas. Texas (laughs) in the house. The
0: Lone Star (laughs) State showing out.
1: That's
2: right. Yeah, man. It's so Padre
1: Island National Seashore is its own community separate? Yes sir. Wow, that's so cool, man. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Padre
0: Island's its own little community.
1: Wow. Yep. Yeah, and so these guys are they've actually got internet out there disconnected from the mainland, then, <laughs> right? Yes sir. Absolutely cool, man. Hey guys, thanks for listening. You bet. Hmm.
3: Okay, okay, next up. Idaho's third most populous city, located 20 miles west of Boise, the name may have originated from a Shoshone word meaning either moccasin or footprint. It was originally called New Jerusalem because of a strong religious focus of its early settlers. Top attractions in the area include the the Warhawk Air Museum and the Deer Flat National Wildlife Refuge in Nam, uh, ah, Idaho. Idaho. Idaho, Nampa, Idaho,
0: Nampa, Idaho. Yeah, I love to see Idaho in the house.
1: I I've been to Parma, Idaho, and Boise over there. Um, mm-hmm. man, I tell you, with all the people and all the places that we've got from Idaho, really would like to go up there and visit some more. And it's not that far for us, really. So I think that'd be a an awesome place to go.
0: How many hours is it to, to Boise from? Cimarron, brother. 10 or 11? Gosh,
1: man. I tell you, I was in college when we made that trip with my roommate. But, I mean, we just popped up there through the four corners into into Utah and then uh, across mm-hmm. Salt Lake City just right there. Um, mm-hmm. Went by the Great Salt Lake. I had never seen that before.
0: It's cool um, to being oh, a copper mine. Great Let me tell you,
1: lake. where you go right there and how it changes from, it, you know, from those prairies to those extreme mountains right there behind oh, yeah. Salt Lake City. Gorgeous mm-hmm. over there. And then when we got to... Um, when we got to Idaho, you know, the farmland, the rolling hills to the incredible mountains and the Snake River going through that, another just gorgeous state over there. You know, there's so much of the west, uh, shoot, there's so much of my own home state here in New Mexico I haven't seen, but you know, God, some gorgeous, gorgeous places in the west. So, um, Idaho, thanks for listening.
0: Joe, this city is in the southwest portion of new york located between lake erie to the north and the allegheny national forest to the south nearby chautauqua lake is a freshwater lake used by fishermen i probably butchered that name joe but here they'll they'll text us and let us know i think you nailed it
3: (laughs) yeah you nailed it
0: by the freshwater lake used by fishermen boaters and naturalists once called the furniture capital of the world because of the once thriving furniture industry. It's home to the National Comedy Center as well in Jamestown, New York. Jamestown, New York. New York. Jamestown, New
1: York. I, New, New York. York. Most likely um, named cool. after King James, I would imagine. Huh? I would uh, imagine. We had I've James never been on, on
0: Chautauqua or Chata- Chataqua. Uh, Chata- yeah. I wish somebody. I wish somebody would tell us how to say that. So we don't butcher it
1: so bad. Well, we have some listeners from big. Jamestown, New York. You guys um, send us in something. Yeah. Tell us how we <clears> said <throat> that right there. And, uh, and and I know you didn't mind us messing it up because you guys are used to comedy and we got plenty of that going on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
2: <laughs> Last up, Louise. All right. Last one up. We got the capital of the Canadian pro- uh, province of Manitoba. That is located at the intersection of the Red and... Assiniboine Rivers, known as the cultural cradle of Canada. It's located north of the jet stream, usually a cold air mass. Add fast winds, which are prevalent in the prairie town, and the weather can get very, very cold. Ooh, I don't like that. (laughs) Home to Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet, the Royal Manitoba Theater Center, and the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. Oh my Winnipeg,
1: God. Manitoba, Canada. Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Yeah, that place sounds man. way too cultural for my kind. <laughs>
0: man. Way too cold <laughs> for it my kind. I guarantee my it's kind. cold as Hades up there, boy. It oh, man. unbelievably they, cold at times. They
1: got again. the ballet, the theater, yeah. the symphony. That place all, is just all cultural, culture culture, man. Heck yeah. And I'm telling you what, buddy. I sure am glad that you had to say that name of that river because of the way it's spelled. I, I'd have been
2: all over the place with I, that. Uh, I had to get some, uh, some help from my friend. My a <laughs> Me. A it's like so A
0: Asinabony.
2: Good thing.
0: Good thing. Give it to the, to the southern boy down here. I'd have butchered it up real that. good.
1: Well, well, are you saying you looked that up? Did, a that? did Did you get that? Did you get help? On-
2: to, no, no, I had to look it up, man. Assiniboine. Assiniboine. Is, uh, Assiniboine is what uh, the pronunciation thing I found. You, you <gasps> killed it, man, except for that. Uh, I trust awesome. you, everybody. If Manano was here, mine would have sounded perfect.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're going to blame it on Manano, as usual. Yeah,
2: we miss Manano,
0: Manano
1: man. Manano. Hey, guys, you guys listen. We're going to have Manano back real soon, man. So He's feeling um, a lot better.
3: Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. feeling yeah, he's better. He's out of the woods yeah you bet
1: he hasn't been feeling too good (laughs) gonna be good Um, to
0: get our brother back
1: absolutely so y'all um tonight late season
0: elk hunting joe
1: late season elk hunting and there are a lot of seasons going on right now for bulls cows spikes there are a ton of hunters still hitting the woods um most of these people out there are rifle hunters right but there's going to be a lot of muzzleloader hunters and and I even saw and I'm trying to remember if it was Montana or Idaho but one of those states still had a late season archery hunt that they're doing so and you know in in New Mexico I don't know if other states are the same way but in New Mexico if it's a rifle hunt you can hunt it with a or, you know with a bow as well so you know it's uh because you're limiting yourself some more mm-hmm. but we still have we still have uh Wyoming with late season cow elk hunts Montana is going till November 29th Montana <clears> it's <throat> my birthday right there man so i, I want to hear some birthday bulls happening on the 29th yeah. Uh, Colorado has its third rifle from the 7th to the 13th, so when this comes out, there's some of those guys that are hitting the woods that week, and we have the fourth rifle November 18th to the 22nd, and I'm not going to jinx you guys from the 7th to the 13th because that can be really good, but I think the longer that gets, um, sometimes the better with those bulls that are getting out and feeding more. Idaho, yeah, Idaho is the (laughs) one that has archery rifle and muzzleloader hunts still. New Mexico... All of our late hunts are pretty much cow hunts, but there are some limited bull and muzzleloader, you know, limited bull muzzleloader hunts, and I believe that private land can do some of those late season hunts. But one thing I wanted to say about late season hunts, and, and one of the reasons I think New Mexico doesn't do that, or this is kind of my thought processing on it, is that I still truly believe, y'all, I think one of the best opportunities to get a big mature bull is late season because those guys um, at that point. started to separate from their herds? Well, the big guys, the big, big bulls have already separated. Remember, they were shadowing for a little while there. Right? Waiting for the estrus and and then they bail off and they go into those holes by themselves to recover. So they're pretty much solitary and their whole thing at that point is just they don't wanna be around. They're they're like they're like elk with a bad attitude. They don't want to be around nothing, nobody. They're gonna, yeah, they're tired. And they're just running, Yeah, absolutely. That rut has just yeah. Fried them and,
0: in. And, and then when they get up, boy, it's all about slave to their belly. they got to get some of that yeah. feed on now.
2: They've lost a lot of weight by Ooh, now,
0: right?
1: 30%. Oh Yeah, they've – so I know that bulls that, that we were weighing at 700 pounds um, – Early season, when we started taking them in October, they were down to 500 pounds. So they lose a lot of weight, man, on that. It's really hard on them. Mm. So they do their solitary thing, and then they get to the point where, okay, we've recovered some. Now, like Gilbert said, it's food, food, food. And they're going to be in places, and they're going to start bacheloring up, and they're going to be places where you can see them out. Later in the morning, earlier in the afternoon, you can see them in in, in, in the group, so they're easier to spot. I, I truly think that's the best time to get a mature bull. I really do. And, I mean, especially because it's rifle season and these guys are exposing themselves. And I think one of the reasons New Mexico does not do that late season bull hunt, except for very, very limited, is to let them get through recover. to the next year and mm-hmm. continue those genetics that's and why, pass those on New yeah,
2: before, so before the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, making sure it, they it recover. It now, move. Joe... Kind
1: of uh, well, not I, only not only recover, though, Luis, but, you know, we're leaving them alone so that they're not being taken, so that those genetics are now coming back through to the next yeah. year yeah, in yeah. the rut, no, right?
2: Yeah. Now, it, but the question I would have, it would be, so... At that point the the okay so they're skinny they're trying to recover mm-hmm. um, and uh, they don't want to have anything to do with anybody, like you said, most of them will kind of be on their on on their own right. how vocal are they at this moment I guess are Those they guys? Not really, no are they not really wanting to they're not really wanting to talk so obviously that's what we're talking about today is the strategy is different these guys are not talking you're not going to be are you going to be able to even call them in are they going to be able to respond so
1: let let's let's that's that's a a great question but you got to take that one at a time because you're talking about different kind of bulls here Mm -hmm. all right right so we've got people that are hunting cows people yep. that are hunting spikes, and yep. people that are hunting mature bulls, right? And, right. and when, we say, when we say mature bulls, we should say antlered bulls because in antlered bulls you're still going to have rags and you're going to have those older matures, right? right. So you've got to break that up too because when you say our thing's talking, those old mature bulls that went and dove off solitary that are now coming out and now November, December and having to feed hard and now they're bacheloring hmm. up, those guys, yeah, they don't want to say crap, man. They're, they're not <laughs> saying anything. But there's still a bunch of rags, especially early November, that mm. are still going to be with the herd. And mm-hmm. then they're going to start splitting off and bacheloring up. Now, those spikes are going to stay right at home with Auntie and Mama and everything like that in the herd. But mm-hmm. those antlered bulls of certain sizes are going to go start bacheloring up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about are they still talking? There are still bulls in November that are with the herd that in the mornings will do some bugling. Um mm-hmm. I've heard it into December, man. I've heard bulls in a herd bugling. But those bulls in that herd are generally not going to be real real big bulls. I just was on a group of 300 head of elk last weekend that had multiple bulls with them. Well, none of those bulls were even 300 bulls. None of them. But there were a lot of bulls in there, okay? And there was even some of them that in the morning were bugling, all right? But that's just how that's going. Does that give you a better idea there? Yeah,
2: yeah, no, no, that's great.
1: Yeah. So remember, at the in October, after they split off in October, by by this uh, November first period, and then especially as it gets later and later, these guys are now starting to feed and feed more. They're starting to get up. If we get snows that are hitting, they are really out and about because they're just uh, feed, feed, feeding. Man, they just need that energy source just to to survive. And water. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so, um, but here's something that I want to throw out there before, as we get into discussion too. Things that I'm talking about right now, and a lot of these tips could end up being region specific, because when I start talking about snow and elk having to eat, 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 because they're getting ready for winter, well, I was just talking, uh, well, I was actually texting back and forth um, with a a buddy in Oregon that, you know, he lives on coastal Oregon. Mm -hmm. ain't no snow (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. it's a it's a jungle they get a lot of rain it's rain yeah Yeah. so these animals are not doing any kind of migrating um they're they're not being pushed into certain areas but at the same time no matter what bulls have to recover okay Mm -hmm. and cows they've got to eat because they need to deliver a healthy calf it's a little bit different in that country where they don't have winters. And I'm thinking about some of that Arizona area as well. So I, I'm, I'm really I, – I don't I'm know enough about those regions to speak specifically other than that's going to be something that you can still – like take for Coast Oregon. You know, for those guys there, I imagine food is still going to be huge, and I imagine mm-hmm. – um, any place that there's a break in a canopy is going to be great, especially for rifle hunters, because mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. elk are going to go where there's feed, and uh, and those hunters are going to need places where they can find them and where they can have shots on them. So uh, I, I think no matter what, this time of year, we've got to think, and like Gilbert always says, man, and, it, and I tell you, the more we talk about it, it's almost a common theme throughout. Food is huge because <coughs> elk are slave to their bellies.
0: Definitely, just like right. we are. I mean, we have got to have it to survive. You know, we need food and water and shelter, and those bulls are no different. They they're needing it because they know what's coming. Especially in like you said, geographical areas where that big snow's coming, yep. they need it. They need it to sustain themselves for that winter and fight off everything else out there that's trying to kill them.
1: Yeah, they they've depleted that fat source so much. They've got to get those proteins. They got to get that fat built back up um they just don't if they get caught in deep snows their energy level to go on that is only going to be so much you know they've got to really um take care of themselves yeah
0: and then i mean your fecundancy rate is important on it too for those cows finding food you know they've got you know they've got to have a good fat source to be able to birth those calves and and then nurse them and stuff like that after this hard winter so it's uh it's tough
3: now that brings up another point too is uh they don't want to deplete their energy, you know, on the heavy snow. Uh, but if, you know, if you uh, do your due diligence as far as uh, checking the weather reports, uh, the day before a big storm, they're going to feed all day long because they anticipate that storm coming in. So that would be a good time to get out there. And but, after, you know, after, sure after you the storm, You have enough time too. to get out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After and, before and after.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's huge, man. After the storm, man, once they get out of that bed, they're going to start looking for where that feed is, where they can uncover it. You're going to find those tracks. It's just, it, Chad's right, it's huge uh, that time of year. But you also got to remember this, too. The difference between, at this time of year, if you're cow hunting or you're um, after any bull or you're after a spike, those herds have to find a large food source they're in those bigger areas they're in those fields they're in those grassy bottoms they're out in the prairies they're doing they got to find those large sources they're on agricultural uh, areas. They need the large, where the bulls, because they're in small groups, they can still feed up in the hills. They can find uh, those grasses down in the bottoms. They can find those windswept slopes up there. Um, they can feed up on the sides of ridges where they can find enough feed there for their size of group. So that's something for you to remember as well, Okay
0: it i'm with you joe you know i've gotten to hunt, and that time of year i'm hunting a lot in the snow but um you know we we get up top and glass and, and then them parks where the elk like to come out in the mornings and feed in the evenings and feed they're usually there especially in full moon categories man the midday they'll come out and feed as well yeah. so i mean there's just a lot of good times to to intercept a big bull It's coming out there doing what he needs to do to get that fat put back on him.
1: Right. So let's talk about the givens, the no matter what's what what happens with elk. And this time of year, you know, for us guys, when we hunt the rut, elk are hard to pattern because those bulls are pushing everything around and stuff like that. But that early season before they start the rut and now especially they're a lot easier to pattern they're going to be coming and going from their favorite feed and their favorite water area especially the feed with water close by hopefully Mm -hmm. they can go a long way for water you know in different sources but they're going to go to that best feed and a lot of times you can pattern these guys coming out from their bedding very close to almost where they went in. You Mm -hmm. know, they might be a few hundred yards down or something like that, but a lot of times they're going to come out where they went in. If, if they're not bumped by other hunters and that's always a possibility on public lands, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, There's um, still small bulls now that are going to be hanging with the herd, like we said, but those other guys now, the big bulls that have split off, are bacheloring up. That's a good thing about the thing, too, Gilbert, is once they group up like that, they're a whole lot easier to spot now because there's multiples, right? Yeah. You know, five or six, four, eight, rather than trying to look for that solitary animal out there. And uh, (laughs) – As a tip, if you're glassing in the mornings and the evenings, try to be where you can have the sun at your back Behind so that it helps to light them up, right?
0: Yeah, man, a, man, they do. Wind they on light your up. face, sun on the back. <laughs> yeah, wind in your face, sun at your back, and uh, do a lot of glassing because that's what it's going to take. And you'll see them, man, they shine like a diamond in a billy goat's butt when they get that sunlight on. <laughs>
3: and I avoid, and, I, and I avoid getting
2: skylined. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Stay low. I'm trying to figure out how that diamond got lost there, but never mind. I'll move on from there. I digress. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> I digress. Uh, the other thing is, y'all, is is this time of year, you got especially, man, in, in the West, you got to mm-hmm. think about a couple of things because your strategies now can vary because of moisture and climate con- conditions. Like, Chav, you said, if it snows, right, um, elk are going to be out. And generally, this time of year and in December, uh, a lot of places this time of year, we're going to get snow. But have any of you guys seen what it's like right now here in New Mexico, here in Cimarron, up in the hills right now? Do we have? We had 84 degrees yesterday. We had 77 degrees today. It is now November 4th, and there's not a lick of snow around this place or in the hills.
0: Y'all had dang near three feet last week, huh?
1: Yeah. Now, I, I haven't been back up to the high country, and I imagine... There's still snow up there, especially in the shaded sides. You're going to find on those north sides and stuff like that. But now those southern and western slopes and stuff are, are going to start melting off, right? Yeah, okay? That's where a lot of those animals are going to be in that high country when I get up there. So that's one thing that I'm thinking. Now that I'm going up to hunt elk this weekend, I'm going to start looking at those southern slopes. I'm going to look at the wind-swept areas, and I'm going to look where that sun has already started beating down. It's not going to be the north sides. North sides are still going to be soft and deep up there. So if you have snow, what did we? We can go back to our elk hunt in September if you have snow what are you going to do dude you stay in your tent
2: wrap yourself up uh wait until that passes (laughs) man cut
0: cut (laughs) some tracks it was some of the that was some of the funnest hunting i've done in a long time never done anything like that but i'm telling you it took me it took us about an hour and 30 40 minutes to run them down but we got it done, man. And uh, uh, if we'd have had a rifle, we'd have killed two giant bulls, man. It's i a mean, pretty
2: cool man. experience, and, and, to, and to a chaff's point, you got to get moving, you get warm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no oh, doubt. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit down there, too, when we start talking about some, some hints. Because, yeah, you want to get moving, but a key thing, if you're hunting this time of year and the temps are way down there, be careful of sweat. Sweat can be your enemy out there once you stop, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, it can get pretty frigid. So, yeah, let's find tracks because even if, The tracks are old they're going to give you information they're going to show you the areas that elk are moving to and from and that's information for you now you have places to start glassing you know that elk have been down in this area feeding most likely they're going up to a bedding area not far from there so those are great sides or ridges and stuff that you can start glassing up there they're going to pattern themselves and The like Gilbert said, what's great about tracks is, man, you can follow them. How would you help somebody out as far as these people are going, okay, if I'm going to follow a track, how do I tell the difference between an old elk track in the snow and a new elk track? Mm -hmm. Grinders tuning in, thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Basecamp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you backwards through each step and level allowing you to see visualize understand and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead the next step the next thought process the next success because y'all you've already been there you know what it looks like By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding.
0: Well, it's, man For me, it's pretty simple. You'll see, <clears throat> for me, the older tracks were already crusted in ice in them, mm-hmm. right? The ones that are brand new, man, it's like their hoofs are so hot they burn a hole right down through the bottom of of the ice and the snow, and it goes straight to the grass. Uh, granted, we only had about two and a half, three inches on the ground, but right. in that in that in that fresh stuff, there would actually be grass kicked behind those tracks, In the older tracks would be ice formed on the bottom of it, and uh, so you could tell that that that, uh, that w- water that had melted is now freezing over. And then, man, you'd see their droppings would melt yeah. cylinder holes right through the top yeah. of the mm-hmm. snow. And then the snow would be yellow uh, where they'd be peeing. And, I mean, it's right. real – and, look, they urinate a lot. They're like cattle. Uh, so when in the snow, you're going to see that. And when you get the coloration, you can pretty well know that that's pretty fresh stuff.
1: Yeah, and what I found is, and it kind of depends, there's different kinds of snow, too. You've got that fresh powder, mm-hmm. and you have that little bit of crusty snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, especially in fresh powder, and you'll see it a little bit with the crusty, but that fresher, depending on the depth, like Gilbert was saying, I mean, when you start talking about two, three inches, is a big difference than when you're talking about eight, ten, twelve inches, mm-hmm. but when yeah. you have that powdery snow, it... When they're pulling that hoof out and they're moving that foot, it it almost sends like a a a, a fresh little pile going in front. That as it gets older, that dissipates. It kind of disappears. It kind of kind of melts down into the snow. And same thing with the crusty. It when they push on that, you'll see some of that crust that's push up. That will actually eventually melt down in it just becomes like you said it becomes kind of a a melted track it gets a little bit bigger um mm-hmm. it uh it doesn't have as much form as as what happens there so yeah
0: uh, Joe got a question in that uh-huh. snow how much snow do they need to have before they really push out of an area cuz i know they're going to come out of them out of that high country once the snow gets so deep yeah. um So in a lot of times that snow doesn't leave up there. So they're going to get lower out of that, snow line how much snow do they need to accumulate up there before they start it, moving kinda, down, it,
1: it really down. depends on the area and if they've had areas that are protected i mean if you think about um, carl's place over there there's some of those areas that if you had blizzarding conditions it might be really really bad up on top and what happens is those elk instead of staying up there they bail off down into Uh, areas Mm -hmm. where it's a little bit more protected that uh, they Mm -hmm. don't have to deal with the elements and the snow doesn't get as deep or or something like that but To your question, though, I find that with the herds, they get pushed down more than just the bulls do. The bulls, yeah, yeah, they'll kind of stay in some of that deeper snow as long as they can find food. They don't want to compete with the herd. So it's a little bit different, right, with those. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're not talking about our snows here. I imagine, God, it would have to be something like, in my mind, it would have to be something like three foot of snow, you know, to really force them to have to go down and find something you know uh those herds are all automatically gonna go and look for the best food anyway, but I think just to get those bulls to even move down like that they're once they get that deeper snow, they're gonna look for areas that they don't have to expend as much energy as that's the yeah. key that's the key yeah. all right um i and for you guys that are listening that don't know the difference if if you are like hunting cows or hunting bulls not only do you need to know what a fresh track looks like but you need to know what the difference is between a bull and a cow track and mm-hmm. you know I, what's that size yeah size yeah track. yeah, so yeah that's bet. the main way to tell it and i mean the, in mud they talk about different things as you can see but mainly it's size man uh in fact i just put a story on our website uh that i show a picture of gilbert's hand in a in a print and oh in a, yeah yeah and mm-hmm. generally you can take three fingers three fingers and just fit those inside a cow elk track but you could take your whole dog on uh hand. or yeah almost your hand and your four fingers and put them in a bull track it's definitely a
2: size difference man uh, mm-hmm.
3: but uh, so, so how
2: about how about like spikes or smaller bulls can they have the size of a cow track big cow a, a very a, a young bull
1: will be a little bit bigger than a, a okay. cow track, like a, like a
2: spike. When you're talking about, but a I spike. think at this time of the year, it's something else that you can kind of combine with the knowledge the size of the track would be the amount of tracks, too. No right, doubt, Joe?
0: no doubt. That singular. because bigger
2: be. bulls will mainly be by themselves, so you wouldn't see a bunch of other well, uh, and
0: smaller bulls will be grouped up together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those cows will be with a bunch of other cows, so. Uh, it, a lot of times those smaller bulls could be with those bigger groups of cows too. So right. uh, you're going to see a different set of tracks in those big herd. Uh, spikes will look a little bit more like cows and, and stuff makes like that. Sense. It's not the same size. But uh, your, your singular tracks that are off by themselves and away from the herd and that are big, that are big as your, my hand, that's a big bull. So,
2: that's pretty cool. It's almost like you're trying to paint your, the picture of what – walk through where you're walking and what you're seeing and just kind of looking at the different sign and and see what they're doing it reminded mm-hmm. me of the day that uh joe you and i and Manano went out there and we were following a couple different groups and we yep. saw where they bet it and we could see how fresh it was and we were just kind of trying to peg which direction they were going and mm-hmm. and that was pretty neat just trying to paint a picture of it okay awesome. how many which direction what were they trying to do? What were they lo- looking for? So
1: Yeah, those tracks told a story. It told us you it know, did. what kind of group it was and uh, what they were doing. And It, it sure did. It, when you start talking about the bulls this time of year, when you're finding, and, and I told you guys at that time, I wasn't looking for a single track. I wasn't looking for the single bull. I was actually looking for a group of three tracks, four tracks. I was looking for a bachelor group together at that time is what I was looking for. And so Mm -hmm. when you're finding those small groups of four sets of tracks, five sets of tracks, eight sets of tracks, now you're generally in those areas you're talking about, especially this time of year, because the herd's going to be huge for cows, like Gilbert was saying. So when you find those fours, those fives, those eights, that's going to be bachelor bulls. Okay? Okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those cows, man. It's going to be a ton of track. Again, you can go to our website. Go go to our website and check um uh, late season tips there, and we have some pictures of some of that on there. Okay. But guys, what if there is no snow on the ground? What if it's a dry and warm year? Huh. What 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 are you going to do? I mean, there's nothing to track. Yeah. yeah. You still need water.
0: Well, there you go, Chev. Hmm. Bet you they're going to have to have water.
3: Got to yeah, have but, water. Water's key.
1: Yeah.
0: I, and, you know, Joe, when I harken back to our hunt this year, I truly believe that's where we cut a lot of them elk from because that's where they were going.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You you know, know, I mean, it was they dry. They were headed to water. It was hot. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's still food, food food and what happens in a hot dry year some of those grasses like I said I I was on a bull elk hunt two weeks ago and I was in an area where the grass should have been good and there was none there should have been water there was none the grass had already been chewed down so now those herds were forced to go down into lower areas where there was still water down there and where there was some grass growing so you know You're going to find that water source, and it's going to concentrate elk, man. It's going to pull them together. Uh, They're going to, and especially, you know, you find that food source, that water source, that's going to be key on there. Definitely. But, guys, just because there's no snow doesn't mean that the elk still aren't preparing for a winter. They've still got to eat. They've still got to get that back and they're you know they can tell things about the upcoming
2: winter that we can yeah <laughs> i yeah it's weird think all think animals can it, man
0: they feel it they know uh, it's coming
2: barometric pressure or something they just kind of some they they can yeah they can feel it well like chav said if you look
1: up and you find a weather report and the day before they're out feeding hard well they didn't they didn't go on Channel 7 and check out the weather, man. Well, you don't know that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe maybe you know something we don't, man. Yeah. <laughs>
0: We've got that crystal ball ready.
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Guys, so if you are, let's talk about where to find them then. So uh, cows, if you're hunting cows, this time of year, cows are going to be feast or famine because it's going to be big groups so it's not like the archery season where you're going to run into group after group after group it's going to be large large herds and you're going to find them in large meadows you're going to find them in parks you're going to find them in grass bottoms on the prairie agriculture areas like we said you're going to find them in private land that hasn't been overgrazed by cattle they'll go on it they'll come off of it to bed or to get water unless they have all of that on the private land um and the, the interesting thing is about cows is they will bed in more open areas during the day, especially snow-covered hills that are, that are windswept and stuff like that. The bulls, though, um, the bulls like to winter in the same areas generally year after year. So, again, if you're glassing those ridges, glassing mm. the slopes, glassing the sides of mesas, um, I got a bull one year because they they would feed in the morning. I caught them where they were feeding in the morning. They would go into the trees and they would not bed 300 yards from where they went into the trees. Get lazy.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. do not
1: want to expend <laughs> they energy. energy. Man. Yeah. Yeah. They want to
3: conserve yeah. energy. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. All about the conserving energy,
3: calories, you know.
1: Yep. Yeah. So there's two things you can do with that. You can you can continue to glass them where they bed, and if you find where they bed down after they bed down in the morning, they are there for the duration. So if you can figure out how to make a move on them, make a stock, get above them, um, mark them on your um, base map app where you think they are. And then take a look at the topo on that and try to make a move on those, okay? But I guarantee you, they're putting themselves in a position where they can see what's below them. So just remember that when you're making that move. If you can come over with something in between the two of you, then get to a high point at their level where they're still looking down below or a little bit above them, you're putting yourself in a better position to be able to take that animal because you're going to have a better look at it, okay? Um, bit.
0: And then be ready. You know, don't lose an opportunity, you know, for wasting time not being ready. You know, you guys are – a lot of times y'all are going to pop up on them and they're going to be right there in front of you Mm -hmm. where you got to go. So, it really takes some preparation, uh, you know, practicing with your shooting sticks and uh, being ready uh, to – That's a uh, huge tip, Gilbert. Yeah, to shoot offhand uh, (laughs) and be ready, you know. um, Yeah. For sure. Use a branch prone off your pack. I mean, be ready to, to get after it.
2: You were telling me, you were telling me uh, you had a hunter um, sitting down and, and use uh, the knees as kind of support for his elbows and, and, and shoot from in that position. That's pretty cool. I mean, that's, you, know, you you got to practice your different stances because uh, on an elk hunt, all those are a possibility. Absolutely, and see that's when when Gilbert says be ready. All right, so let's let's convert
1: this over. Let's let's segue that into how to hunt because these are tips on on things that and that's a huge tip right there, Gilbert, because. One of the big, big failure points that I find with guys that I have is the amount of time it takes them to get ready, yeah, ready to get a, shot, a shot, shot Yeah. And now, if if you're stalking an animal and you've gotten above them and they're better, well, you got all day, man. You can work all that stuff out. But you're not going to get to play around with everything. You're going to have to slip up, get set on something, get on them, and you're going to have to take that shot. But I'm telling you, when you come out there and all of a sudden you get an animal and they're moving and they're getting ready to get in the trees where you're not going to have a shot. You got to think about some things that you got to do and you got to be ready. And I mean, at that point, let's say that animal's moving up and you want to get a broadside shot, and they're getting ready to disappear. That's where that call comes in, you know, um, mm, stop them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. cause Luis, you were asking about calling elk. Well,
2: that's when you do it.
1: Yeah, we're not going to call elk to bring yeah, them in. Yeah, you're not going to call right. them in, but you're going to get their
2: attention for sure. They're going to Absolutely. turn and it's like, who's talking? And yeah. Why are you talking? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah.
1: I, I can tell you I have stopped bulls that I, I've had a hunter, <laughs> got the hunter in place, and the bull's coming, I stopped the bull, and the hunter couldn't get the bull in the scope. Had, yeah. had the scope dialed up too, too much too two zoomed two in. High. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah guys when you start out start out on four you can pick him up and then dial him on up from there you know don't start out at 10 because it's going to be a lot harder especially in that white snow it's going to be a lot harder to pick that bull up because everything's going to look white you dial that thing to four I, I do it with my kids we get into blind uh deer hunting i put it on four they find the animal dial it up and it's a so, when, you, when you deer
1: rock. hunt, what is the length of the shot that you're shooting? Your Typically life? under
0: 200.
1: You're right. Typically under it, 200 yards. It's under 200, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are, mm-hmm. are are you, Are they between 100 and 200, or are they under yeah. 200?
0: Sometimes they can be under 100, but right. uh, and that can be challenging in itself with a scoped rifle, being as yeah. close as they are, you know. Yeah. So, again, it's just much better for us to turn the – turn them down to you know it's not doesn't take too long to turn it back up yep uh and or leave it on five you know there have been a lot there have been a lot of animals killed with a four power fixed yeah, dope, you know
2: absolutely so, i mean and even even if you're close uh, to your point beto it's hard if you got several animals there it's it's so easy to get on the wrong animal too oh, yeah. when you're when you're not when you're dialing that far
0: i can't tell you how many hunters i've had you know i've guided a lot of guys uh deer hunting and stuff like and had some elk hunters too uh that (laughs) with muzzle loaders that couldn't find them and i'm like oh my god he's like as big as a house (laughs) but but he's got it turned up on nine and he can't you know the bulls 110 yards from he can't find him so as soon as i dial it back to four oh man yeah got him okay well run him back up on nine but guys that that don't do it all the time you know I, that's the first thing when a guy gets in the blind with me i say hey man you know i ain't trying to run your business but what's your scope set on and they're like oh, i got it on like 12 i'm like mm, yeah let's move it back to four or five they're like huh i'm like look you'll thank me in here in a little bit yeah you know, when when because when the pressure comes and everything you know is uh move everything's moving fast you're going to need to be able to pick that animal
1: up. well and and you you guys get excited Mm, Um. So that makes it a little bit harder. The other thing is, is
2: sometimes (laughs) never happens to me. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes when you zoom it up, and then let's say that you've just gone up a hill, or you see that bull, and all of a sudden you get Mm. those verelakes, and you get you get excited. (laughs) Now you're breathing hard, and and you when you have that zoomed up there, it's hard. You feel it's jumping a little bit, and you're like, oh, I can't Mm. stay on. I can't stay on. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. And I'm going to give you a little hint for that, too, because I've had veteran hunters that have been in that position, and I've always told them, look, take three relaxed breaths, one, take a deep breath, hold and get on because when you're breathing you're going up and down and uh you know it's it's moving everything a lot of times so sometimes i I don't know if you guys do that when you shoot yeah so i have
0: a breathing technique that i use that they taught us in in ert training emergency response training so when you're on target The most important thing for you to do is breathe, because the first thing that goes when you hold your breath is your oxygen level to your eyes. So Mm -hmm. it's harder to focus. So we those three big breaths are perfect, man, because you get a lot of oxygen in there. We purse our lips together and then we start pushing air out. So we're actually exhaling as we're squeezing and it's all an internal timing thing where you're exhaling as you're squeezing the trigger. And then all of a sudden the gun goes off, scares the hell out of you. Uh, So it's part of my trigger squeeze regimen, the three big breaths. Right. And then I'm, I'm pushing that air out while I'm squeezing at the same time. So I'm not holding my breath affecting my vision. Cause that's the first thing that goes when you hold your breath mm-hmm. is your vision will get blurry. And so after you've taken those three big breaths in, you're pushing it out as you're pushing that air out, you're squeezing and then aim small, miss small. It don't have to be perfect. If it's in that little area, boom, gun goes off, scares the hell out of you. We got a dead elk.
1: Right. and and you are squeezing like a handshake absolutely you know because I, I, you know, I, I tell guys you out. know if you just squeeze like a handshake instead of just thinking about that finger right. man it it just
2: it will surprise you because <laughs> it it's best it's shot in the
0: overall. world it scares the hell out of you
2: yep. you know mm-hmm. interestingly enough i've been looking into um into the back tension shooting on the archery side right mm-hmm. and uh you know, it's 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 a way of... Act- you can actually do it with our, our normal releases, mm-hmm. and and you actually start pulling back slowly with your elbow pointing out, and all of a sudden, you have to let it surprise you. Um, mm-hmm. supposed to help a lot with people that have target panic and stuff like that. Right. So I'm looking into it to learn, but it's just that when you said squeeze like a handshake, it's right. kind of the same uh, principle of pulling. And I was going to ask you, Beto on arch with archery um, did you use did you have uh, have you ever used that technique that breathing technique for shooting with a bow
0: same yeah ah, so same. I'm, yeah. I'm getting a big breath in huh? i'm drawing and then i'm letting it out you know, now you know me. I don't stay on target a long time. A long time I get, yeah. When I get yeah. it to where I want it, man, I'm cutting it loose. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. generally I've already found where I want to shoot the animal, mm-hmm. and and truthfully for me, guys, and this is just me talking, it's not so bad much about where my pen is, right? It's just not it, when it gets in that general vicinity, it's going because I know that it's in the right. We, you know, you you hear this all the time: aim small, miss small, and. Um, you know, absolutely. I
1: believe, though I believe
0: yeah. in that. Like, yes, absolutely. It's part of my my makeup. So as soon as it's there, and I'm squeezing, it's gonna break. Because I am starting my when I get to my when I get to that anchor, I am mm-hmm. starting my squeeze. Because I've already seen where I want to shoot him, and I'm already in that general vicinity. You know, mm-hmm. so. For me, guys, it's more about practice, but that trigger squeeze, but that trigger squeeze is the same for me when I'm archery hunting as
2: it is for women. Cool. Yeah, I was wondering about that. It's pretty neat. Yeah, and if you do um, any
0: studying at all about sniper shooting or anything like that, you'll see that there's breathing is the most important thing in the world.
3: I just want to add another factor that that occurs when you're uh, hunting in the wintertime. You know, the groups are really big, and – If you have a license for a cow, you better make sure it's a cow, not a spike. So, (laughs) good stuff, Chad. uh, Absolutely, because a cow looks just like a a spike. Looks just like a cow, unless you really focus in on what you're going to shoot. You're right, and 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 not only
1: and and Um. to your point too. There's generally a whole bunch of them, so you better make sure that the background behind them is clear as well. Right you know uh, uh otherwise point. you're explaining how you got two with one shot you know that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. in dove hunting in dove hunting it's great and elk we celebrate yeah. <laughs> yeah we had
3: we had somebody up here a couple of years ago use a, a high powered army rifle i guess and with shot a full like metal three jacket. elk.
1: it was
0: actually yeah,
3: yeah. shot three mm-hmm. elk with one shot
0: yeah. oh, wow man. That was expensive. Yeah, but, wow, that
3: was an expensive shot. <laughs> well,
1: And and with an illegal load. I mean, you're not supposed to use full metal jackets. Yeah, not so, supposed yeah.
0: to use any full FMJs. Yeah, no.
1: Yeah, so,
0: it, it's but, important, like Chav said, to make sure your background. Uh, us whitetail hunters here, too, when we got guys that weren't doe hunting, we're actually cow hunting or doe hunting.
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: easy to mistake those younger uh, little button bucks. Uh, yep. For a doe, yeah. for a big doe, go. gotta yeah. really do our glass work. You know, yeah.
1: mm-hmm. if that yeah. head is down, man, mm-hmm. wait till you can yeah. really see it. Good, I mean, because yeah. you might have seen it and you thought it was a cow. It put its head down. and You take that shot, and mm-hmm. while that head is down, uh, without having a real good look at that head, make mm-hmm. sure that you've checked it out really good. Chab's absolutely right because that can be a mistake too. Now, in some states, it's what they call antlerless so a six inch a six inch is considered antlerless now there's a difference between a Mm -hmm. cow and an antlerless right so Mm -hmm. uh that, that, that's a little bit different. Check your state, check your regs on that. But what we were yeah. saying before, too, about the opportunity and wasting time, and I was talking about stopping an elk. I've I've stopped an elk with a cow call up to five times I've stopped a bull because I've had yeah. different things with my shooter happen, right? But mm-hmm. that's the same thing. If you don't have that skill set by yourself, uh, you don't have to have a cow call in your mouth. You just, yeah! just like that, throw a whistle mm-hmm. out, they will stop. But guys, man, if If you're going to shoot off shooting sticks, I think so much time. I think there's a lot of shots that guys use shooting sticks that they could just shoot offhand. Honest to God. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they could get Mm -hmm. down in a kneeling position, kind of like Army kneeling, you know, one knee down up on a knee and shoot. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and um, I I think you need to practice that offhand. If that's a 100-yard shot with these weapons, man, Mm -hmm. it's like Gilbert said. Put it up, put it on the spot, and. Squeeze, man, because you can drop that animal. Uh, my favorite
0: way to shoot a rifle in in uh, in the field, like if I'm prone. elk hunting and I'm shooting, is prone. Uh, yeah. It's my favorite way to shoot off my pack. I yeah. can, it, you know, hopefully I can get above the animal and I'm shooting down off of my pack, and I am rock solid. Like you better not wiggle your eyeball too much because I'm gonna I'm gonna send it in there. You know, yeah. You uh, put, you
2: put you put that hand. Uh, close to your neck, like underneath oh, the man. underneath the the Just back of the gun, like yes, that. Just, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's the it, solid, it, which is
1: awesome if you, if you have that ability to do that yeah. because of yeah. the terrain. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of times you get that high grass, you get the brush, yeah. and so you got to be yeah. sitting. And and so whether you're going to sit with your knees down or your knees up, practice those positions and practice so that you can. When that opportunity comes, you can get in that position. You get them into the scope. You push off your safety. Your finger's now on the trigger because it's not going to be on there until you're ready to kill something, you know. Mm-hmm. And and you're going to squeeze off. But it's all got to. It sounds like it's taking a long time, but it's only it's only parts of a second, man. If you if you get mm-hmm. used to doing that. And look, guys, you don't have to practice shooting with rounds. You can do all of this dry firing of a weapon. You know, uh, you can get hundreds and hundreds of reps in doing that, you know. In fact, Mm -hmm. I like that, especially with kids. I like it so Mm -hmm. much better than doing live rounds because a lot of times they learn to get jumpy, you know, shooting those live rounds all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you get them in the rhythm of just squeezing and dry firing, squeezing and dry firing, they get that rhythm where that moment when they go to shoot that is going to surprise them and and they're going to make a good shot. So that's something to think about. So when we talk about how to hunt, guys, look, we're going to talk about this part now. Um, when we're archery hunting, we talk about hurrying up and slowing down, but we're doing things where we're using our calls and stuff. Now it's a totally different thing. Covering ground is imperative, whether it's with a vehicle. So it's going to be vehicle first, whether, I don't care what that is. If it's UTV, ATV, if you're in a truck, you want to get to different areas that you're going to go to. If you can cover areas where, in a vehicle where you can look into places to find tracks, to cut track, you you know, to locate things like that, to locate animals, to look off into places, then then you want to try to do that to cover as much ground as It's all possi- about
2: gathering as much information as Absolutely,
1: possible. Absolutely, man.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. And and it, so it's And then vehicles, if you can
2: do that and at the same time do glassing, yep. then you cover even more ground. Absolutely or if you are going to use
1: a vehicle to get into glassing points where you're going to hike a little ways to glass off it's all about covering ground, whether with your eyes, whether with a vehicle. Your feet is last, man. Your, your feet uh, covering mm-hmm. ground. I mean, there's some people that if you're in an area that you know there's going to be elk and you're going to hike into a certain location because you know that there's elk in there, they're always in here. You're guaranteed to find something. You're at a point where you can look into three different basins. Then that's great. You have that knowledge factor. But if you're going in blank, and you don't have that knowledge factor, you've got to be able to cover ground either with the vehicle first, with your glasses second, and with your feet last, man, because you need to get, like Louis said, information. Now, once you've located where those animals are, that's a different ball game. Uh, on that one bull hunt two weeks ago, it took me three days to locate where they were at. Once we did and we figured out their pattern of moving, then we hiked into the area and we were ready for them to go in man, they went in probably a hundred yards from where they came
2: out and we were waiting for them. Right. So, uh, when you, when you talk about quality optics for glassing, Joe, mm-hmm. is it, is there a way to kind of patent the glasses that Chav is using right now? Because I really <laughs> want some optics <laughs> like that when I go hunting, yeah. man, I mean, y'all got to check this out, man. Chav is just stylish, man. I just, uh, you know, all that.
1: <laughs> you, you
2: know, uh,
1: I, I find a lot of. <laughs> I find a lot of animals with my eyes when I'm doing things. But when I'm guiding guys, man, uh, my optics are critical. Not only, I mean, to make sure yeah. again that if they're cow hunting, that it's not a spike or something like that. But the other thing that is critical to me is I have, I, I've got the um furies where uh my rangefinder's built into my uh, optics yeah i've got one of
2: those two they're pretty cool
1: well and it saves you time you're not Mm -hmm. you're not yeah you're not
2: switching optics from one to the other yeah
1: yeah i can study an animal and if i you know let's say that we're on a management hunt we're on a management bull hunt Mm -hmm. or you guys are hunting um uh, an antler bull that has to have uh four has to have four tines on it or has to have one tine over six inches right now it's critical to be able to study and get that distance if it's if it's Outside, like, if it's that 200, 300 range and that's critical for you in mm-hmm. just in your comfort zone, you need to know that. If it's under 200 yep. and you're sighted or if it's under – if it's a 100-yard shot, you're not worrying about this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to mm-hmm. check with your optics and you're going to pop that animal. Or you're going to – actually, even more, you're going to look through your scope and see it, yeah. study it, and pop that animal, right? So – uh, but quality optics man you're going to do so much glassing it, it can wear on on your eyes and when i say quality it doesn't mean you have to spend 3000 5000 bucks man no, there's uh, some great glass out there
0: there really is from Nikon to Vortex, Vortex to uh, make, i mean yeah. you know, Bushnell. very busham Bushnell, very af- yeah. very affordable and yeah. uh, you don't have to break the, you don't have to go get a pair of swarovski's or right. zeiss or you know leicas i mean it, those are very high end glass, and it, look, they're awesome. But they're, there's other, other very good glass. I've, I've been using some Vortex and Leopold that both I like a lot.
1: You yeah. Know. And you know, once you've done your glassing, you're generally going to make a move on that animal if you've located the an animal. So that means that you're going to stalk in on it and. Um, I've been caught in situations where I've been stalking in on a herd or on multiple animals, and when I'm stalking, uh, I'm trying to get to an area where my hunter or myself is in a comfortable shooting range, right? So one of the things, there's some things that I tell people when you're stalking. If you're coming to a rise, if you've gotten a rise in between you and an animal, and you're trying to get up to that animal— do not go up and start walking to that rise. Get down as low as you can. Keep your head below that rise and periscope up real slightly mm. just so you can put your eyes just barely above It, it is nice mm. and slow. Instead of walking to it so that your body creates an action and they see that coming up there. And another thing is, is and we've done this, guys, stalking archery, you know. Um, no. We we, we've done it with multiple people. We've done it with four people together, right? Sure um, have. <laughs> is that it's best for you to move when they are moving.
0: Yeah. Yep. When, yeah, because everything's moving in their world. Yeah.
1: Yes, you absolutely.
0: Know, they, they don't pick up your movement as movement that's uh, obscure or um, that alarming, right? Everything's moving around them.
1: And it's best for you to be in shadows if possible. Um, When you do that You know something else That you just reminded me When glassing When you're glassing an area It's kind of like the same thing With what we just talked about An elk It's better to keep your glasses still On an area And look in that area With your eyes Rather than
2: keeping
1: Your
0: your
2: eyes Yeah Yeah, if you keep moving Your Yeah yeah, that's yeah. an excellent point, because if you keep moving your your optics, then you're going to miss out on small movement. But if you keep them steady, then you pick up on any small movement, and Absolutely. those could be animals. Actually, that's an excellent point. An ear yeah. flicker, just the yeah. glint of a... Yeah,
1: yeah. you want to put those stuff. glasses there, and you look through all areas of the glasses, and then move your glasses, and then that's check all those areas of the glasses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I recommend you guys getting a a good, use your shooting sticks to set your glasses up on, man. And it really, it solidifies them when you ain't got a lot of shake and everything. And it just helps you so much more when you're glassing.
2: It also helps when you have contact, good contact with your binos and your forehead. If you can just keep your forehead and your hand touching your forehead and your binos, It also helps with the rangefinder too. When I put the rangefinder on my hand, is actually kind of touching my forehead and and my uh, my cheek. More stable. It's it's way more stable that way. That if I'm just trying to kind of hold my um, my rangefinder floating yep. in front of my eye, then obviously way harder to do. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, a buddy Stab. of mine, Chad Riker from Backcountry Rookies podcast has a neat little setup with a very light tripod that he takes and an adapter for his binos. So he puts his binos oh. on the area, and he looks through his binos without moving his binos at all. And uh, I yeah, like cool. it so much better than a spotting scope because I have a hard time with that whole one-eye thing. Yeah. Me Just, too. Yeah. Man, I don't like
0: yeah. it. But a lot of guys use them, and when, especially when they're, you know, have been on some of these. Bull hunts that we're shooting inches, you know, and you know, got to know. So it's really important to be able to see if that twenty-five inch, four or five, you know what I mean. So they break out that big thing that can see them for four miles away. But man, it is hard to get one. It, eye. And then your there. left
2: eye, gets blurry. Oh man, it's something right. Else. Yeah, <laughs> it's blurry just, after. And when you try to open it up, and it's like, man, it's blurry on one side and kind of neat on the other. And pretty sparkly.
0: cool when you're looking at them from miles away, though.
2: And the the thing is, yeah,
1: you're right, and you can get some pretty neat video and stuff like that off of them, but now they're making those same adapters for binos. Yeah. But if you're going to carry binos with you anyway, um, to me it's better just to make them an all-around instead of carrying binos and a spotting scope, you know. Hey, Chab, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, because I know a lot of rifle hunters, and we've been around people that um, they don't even... (laughs) the wind and thermals aren't a thought. Is that something that you think they can ignore?
3: The wind and the thermals? Yeah. Um, not really. You know, it, I think it's still the same effect, uh, you know, any time during the year. But I, I think if you're pretty far away, uh, it, it won't affect as much, and that depends which way the thermals are going, if it's a crosswind or right. a direct Wind to your face or be or behind your back. Sure, I would think there's a there's still a factor involved there.
1: Absolutely, I I think that's one of the big mistakes sometimes. Because Luis, you did you you mentioned on the last podcast the distance mm. in which um, certain animals can pick up scents. Yeah,
3: scent carries. Yeah, yeah. Somebody so, mentioned yeah. last week.
1: What
2: yeah, it was a uh, a pig was like man, so it, much and a. A, yeah. p- a pig was like uh, a mile. The best, mile. weren't they, or bear was, huh? <laughs> yeah, bear was the best, then pigs, then elk and a whitetail, mm-hmm. and then coyotes. And how, how far could a, could an elk pick up a scent? Uh, about the same as the whitetail, and I think it was uh, half a mile, maybe? Half a mile, right, yeah. Uh, I may have to... I you know let me get back with you on that one let me I'll I, look I believe, it up I believe you that's go.
1: right man and so yeah. i think that's a big mistake so when you're hunting make sure you're paying attention to the wind for a lot of reasons you might get up on top of a place and you you don't want to blow an animal out if the wind's at your back going down there especially if it's an early morning and thermals are falling because if you have the wind at your back and thermals are falling you're just putting scent set right down into that canyon so that's something for you to think about as that as well um I think a big one for you guys, a tip, is knowing how to finish. And we wouldn't think um, that this is something to mention, but you would be surprised how many people are not sure where to shoot an elk uh, to put one down fast. Now, we mentioned that in our last podcast. And again, you can go on our site and look at our, uh, on our website. You can go there and look at our shot placement. Um, we have it on video if you want to do that. I had a hunter this last week. I just did a story on that. Was very nervous about where to place a shot on an elk. Watched our, um, our video on shot placement. The next morning, he hearts a cow. At 126 yards, and I mean hearts the cow, just like a pro. So um, that that can help you out with that. And the other thing I would tell you is on knowing how to finish. Again, when you take that first shot, you are not done. Reload. Right. You're listening. You're watching how that animal reacts. And as soon as you shoot, you're racking another shell. If that animal starts to go off, you want to put another one in, put that animal down. If you shoot a second shot, you rack a third one on there, you know, and you want to, especially with the rifle, put that animal down because you, you know, you don't want that animal running off and not find a blood trail. So, exactly, you know.
0: My, I uh, hunt Neil guy down here in South Texas, and they'll tell you, if he's got his head up, he's going to get up. And I've I'm, I'm seen it time and time again. Guys shoot him, knock him down, everybody's high-fiving, and he's got his head up, and then whoosh, here he comes up, right? So I'm of the same opinion. If I can still see him and he's got his head up, I'm putting another one in him until either I can't see him anymore or he's done moving, you know. Um, no doubt, Joe, got to be ready for that. Uh, don't celebrate! It ain't over yet till he hits the ground and can't get up. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I, man, one time I'm gonna tell off on my good Canadian buddy Steve Tucker here. Um, Tucker, we love you, man. Uh one time Tucker got up. I don't know what happened, but maybe it was a premature pulling of the trigger. But we had a big giant 330 inch bull in front of us, about 134 yards, and, and with a muzzle loader, and he shoots this bull and knocks him clean off his feet, and I mean, just crashes, just I mean, crushes this bull, dude. Down goes Frazier, and I mean he's down. <laughs> On the canvas, boy, doing the old kick dance and everything. Well, we just start high-fiving, and I piled up on him and everything. You know how we do. And uh, I'm telling you what, son, that bull got up and ran up the hill about 35 yards, and I, I happened to have my diaphragm in my mouth, and I called and stopped him. And luckily, we got to reload that that uh, muzzle loader, and <laughs> yeah. I He got another muzzleloader in his hand and laid back down. (laughs) Boom. He shot three foot over his back this time. Oh Uh, my god! And I'm like, what in the world is going on? So we get down there and, uh, you know, it's almost dark. And to me and the famed RC Knox, uh, one of the best elk hunting guides in all of New Mexico. We got to give RC a good shout out. Uh, RC and I were with him and we, walked down there to the spot where that bull was, and there is not a speck of bud anywhere. I'm talking nowhere, Joe. And where I'm shining my light and everything else, and all of a sudden I see this long antler, about that long, okay, with a big front curl on it. He shot that bull in the front curl of that oh, horn, and it knocked Hit that him bull in the off Hit him in the horn and knocked him down. It hit him so hard. It was a fifty caliber Barnes oh, yeah. bullet. And oh, yeah. I turned and I looked and I seen something shiny on the ground. It was the Barnes projectile puddle, puddle, with all its pedals pulled out laying there right next to the horn, Joe. Oh, I mean, craziest thing I've ever seen. And that bull, no worse than a while, just, sh- just shot his horn off. But uh we thought we he'd made a killing knockdown shot hit him right in the middle of the shoulder because that's right where i told him to aim right behind right in the middle of the shoulder and oh no he just hit him in the horn.
1: up he turned
0: <laughs> <laughs> craziest thing i ever seen it, like us and then uh, the third shot i think he was just so shook up that the bull got up that he shot three <laughs> foot over his back
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh tucker hey, man tucker's Old had some tucker. bulls now I ain't it joe yeah right? Am
1: I Joe? Tucker's been on some bulls now. T- Tucker, that first hunt with Tucker and Luis was unbelievable, man. I mean, I, I think they got spoiled on that hunt. They were like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> yeah, bulls everywhere. Bulls everywhere. Bullfest Bull in Mexico. That's
0: I don't where think we
2: were.
1: saw a cow, man. It was crazy. Yeah, it was
2: tons, yeah. tons of animals, tons of encounters for sure. Uh, absolutely. Hey, Gilbert, hey, uh, man. Coyote, quarter mile whitetail and elk up to half a mile wild hogs up to five miles and wow. then black bears up to 20 miles wow Dude, that's crazy miles. Unbelievable. unbelievable
0: also has got it going on brother
1: so you guys out there man we're excited for you 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 late season hunters it's a great time it's a great time to hunt it's a great time to put uh, uh animals on the ground where you don't have to worry most of the time hopefully you get some cooler weather than we have yeah. out here uh it really helps with that I I will give you one tip though uh this this time of year is it sure helps if you use rubber gloves in your kill kit and uh sometimes if you uh if you you do a a double on that just to kind of give your hand. Once you get inside the carcass, not bad. But I tell you, when you when you start to come out and all that blood's on your hands, it can it can make that hand pretty cold. Uh, but the nice thing is you can get it off without having to wash with hand, you know, wash with water and stuff, and that helps in freezing conditions. So that's one tip there. So Gilbert, why don't you take us to our Elk Bros mailbox, man?
0: Sounds good. Well, uh we're gonna go down to uh, Drew uh sayer i guess is how you yeah pronounce drew that. we Sayre left drew hanging last week huh we did man he's got a whole bunch of stuff that uh drew's from birmingham alabama and guys we like it when y'all put you where you're from then we can yep. announce you know give you a little shout out to your hometown they're out of birmingham alabama the crimson tide folks are doing well and uh Drew, we're going to read your question here and see if we can't get you some answers. There you uh, go. First off, he says, staying in the areas we've well, hunted.
1: Let's see. Right on the top says he's working out something there. See that? Right oh, there gotcha. There? Yeah. He says, yeah.
0: we're working through some pros and uh, and cons of. Okay. First so of he all, says, staying in, the, yeah. First of all, staying in areas we've hunted, familiar, but uh, low elk numbers, he said, versus moving to a new area with high elk numbers uh keeping in mind that I don't live in Colorado anymore so I'd like to have to go in blind really. Uh he says I might uh be able to sneak in a quick summer scouting trip trip but maybe at the expense of days in September. Hmm. My sense is I'd rather scout with a weapon versus scout without one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he says kind of, two. Yeah, well, let's let's come over number 1 before we move to that, first, okay, that cool. second one there. And good. uh I don't know. What do you guys think? He says, he's, he says they're thinking the pros and cons of staying in the area they've hunted that they know, but there's low elk numbers versus moving to that new area. And, and you guys heard the rest of it there. So what, what do y'all think?
2: I I try something new. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, that you may, you may find that new area if you think there's more elk numbers. I mean, you're trying to increase your opportunities, right? So yeah, you, you may have to do a lot of learning early on, but then, you know, once you get familiar with the area and understand their feeding, uh, their water sources, um, you may be in higher cutting than you were in your old area. You may end up finding out this place is way better than the one you used to hunt.
0: Yeah, I, I kind I of agree with that. And, Drew, if you use base maps or Onyx, to do a lot of your virtual scouting, man, scouting. Uh, I think you can re- your yeah, e-scouting. I think you can really uh, do what you're talking about in a scout with a weapon versus scouting without one. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's the way I'd go. I don't know. about Yeah. You. That way
2: you won't go in so blind. Yeah. What, what about would, you,
3: Joe? What would you do, Chad? Well, I think if, uh, If they do know the number of elk as far as, uh, you know, a high concentration or a low concentration, I'd probably go with a high concentration uh, because they're there for sure. Uh, Whereas the first one could be feast or famine, you know. So uh, I'd go where the elk car because if the cows are there, the bulls are going to be there too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me, when I look at that and I I see somebody's familiar um, with an area, that to me – is, is a huge plus. And so the first thing I would say is how many encounters are you having a day when you hunt that area?
2: How I mean, successful have you been in that area?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're having multiple encounters a day because you know it, even though there's low elk numbers, sometimes low elk numbers sometimes equals low hunters. And if you know it and you're having a multiple encounters, then, then I'm, you know, for me, that's a little bit tough one because then oh. you're leaving elk to go find elk there so it it just kind of depends on i would gauge it that way now if you're not having a lot of encounters and you're bumping into yes. a lot of hunters yeah. you know you yeah.
2: yeah, try I, something else yeah. and that's the way i read it because when he says familiar but low elk low, numbers low number. when he he's says low elk numbers to me he's telling me he's not Haven't had much encounters. Well, when I see low elk numbers, I,
1: I it looks like he's looking at total herd size from one place to the other. It could and, be
0: oh, on data that he's looking yeah, at. Yeah. Oh, I got
1: you. To me, that's you. what I see because he's comparing one area to another, right? Got gotcha. you. So mm-hmm. that that's the only th- what I see there. Now, if I do go to the new area and I had that choice of. Um, Going in early in the summer versus September. Dude, it's September all the way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that with summer a gun scouting, in your hand. <laughs> yeah. That summer scouting trip, y- you can go in and you can They'll get to know the area. Um
2: Yeah. You're you're, you're learning topography, not elk behavior or exactly. anything like that. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and now I'm not going to knock knowing topography because when sometimes when you can relate what you're seeing with your boots on the ground, with what you're seeing on Base map, that helps a ton, but I'm with you, dude. I mean, we like to hunt scout if i if that meant me being there and having more days in September, where the elk are where they're going to be rather mm-hmm. than in summer, where the elk are and where they're yeah. not going to be in September, I'm mm-hmm. definitely going
2: with, with getting fresh uh, info. plus i mean even topography you know vegetation and stuff that it changes a little bit from the summer up until you get to hunt so even then things may look different amount of water
1: changes the type of grass changes you know those types of things so
0: no when i was fishing professionally i would i would practice when i first started man i would practice in the areas that i was going to fish during the tournament And, man, I'd beat those fish up. And when I'd go back to them, they didn't want to bite very good because of the pressure that was on them. So what I'm trying to say is when I changed my practice, how I practiced or how I pre-fished, I would go to new areas that I've never been before, and I would just go look uh, I wouldn't fish. I would go look at the area and see what the bait looked like, see what the creek channels, the grass, the cover, stuff like that. And then if I did fish and I found something, well, I would, you know, use that as a backup plan to come back to. And a lot of times my plan A wasn't wasn't working. So plan B was, man, plan B, glad I found it, right? So that's how I got to learn areas was just like he's talking about, go in there, do some scouting, learn the learn the area of the land, and then, uh come go time come game time i was in there you know uh with boots on the ground and, and figuring it all out so right I, but, I think that helps a lot
1: but for me sacrificing actual hunting days to do that oh, no, I, yeah I, yeah i don't know that i would do that and if i mm-hmm. had really extra, have a
0: rifle in my hand.
1: yeah if i had extra days in there and uh man, then I tell you what, I would be covering as much ground as possible the first couple of days and really taking a look at things. So what's the second part? Of second, the second
0: part? second part, he says, OTC archery, over-the-counter archery versus mm-hmm. first rifle. Limited entry, but only looking at areas that are not likely to require points.
3: So <laughs> oh, for okay. example,
0: we could almost certainly get first rifle tags in some areas which have pretty high
2: success rates. I oh. what do you guys think I, well f- f- for for you know, several things go here right i mean it's 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 a tough question and one is like okay how important is it to fill the freezer you mm-hmm. know if, if 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 that's the first question to me if, if well why if, do you say that dude why do you say that well, because if it's high priority to fill the freezer, then you would go with the with the first rifle tags because you have higher success rates in those areas that he can get he can almost certainly get that first rifle season with a high success. Hmm. And then you know, I'm not saying that it's less challenging with the rifle.
1: No, no, I'm not talking challenging. I just I just question the whole success rate thing because, you know, I I, I know a lot well, of I
0: think if you I think if you do look at the numbers rifle hunters are more successful at harvesting elk than, than, uh, archery hunters. hunters. I think, and I think that number is skewed because there's so many more, so much more of them, no doubt. But I think the numbers would suggest that rifle hunters probably are more successful maybe because there's more of them. I don't know. But at the end of the day, when you're looking at the numbers, I would think they would suggest that. So I I see where Luis is coming. I'm an archery hunter. I elk. do, so,
1: you know. My my me, problem is I get my, my offended, f- dude. I'm at, I'm at ninety
0: eight percent. Not everybody's as good as yeah. us, Joe.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, like, uh, you know, to your point, better, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. if we get an option, if you ask me, do you rather rifle hunt elk or bow hunt elk? Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go bow hunting elk any oh, day, man. anytime. I mean, I've, of the I've done. Yeah, I've done oh, it. Bo- I've done it. I've done it both ways, right? Yeah. And and I just can't to me there's no comparison and how it feels to to hunt um oh, and it, if it's an OGC, then great because you go in with you know you you can you have your tag already but yeah i get yeah. the point of being potentially busy and a lot a lot of hunters out there but then again uh-huh. everything we talk about is how to maximize your opportunities even even that being the case
1: so i'm gonna give him a hybrid answer um yeah. go put in for limited entry archery um, for a better area um, and uh, that only takes one or two points or not requiring a point. And there's some of those out there as well. And if you don't, then you can go OTC archery. Mm-hmm. If you want to do mm-hmm. that, you could also, I'm not sure how, I, I believe you can put in there as well. You could put in for a limited entry archery um, in New Mexico, we do choices. I'm not sure how it is in Colorado. So uh, they might not have choices, first choice archery, second choice rifle or something like that. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how that works. I've never put in for Colorado. Uh, but me, bud, I, I I tell you it's about what kind of experience you want. And like Luis said, how important is it for you to put that meat in the freezer? So, um,
0: Amen. Yeah. His third part, it says, if archery before... Versus after muzzle loader. Uh, as we already discussed, before uh, has the likely benefit of less pressured elk. Mm-hmm. and I know that early season can be good even if elk are possibly less vocal. Uh, after muzzle loader will be right around the equinox, which is obviously the sexy time to hunt. but I'm thinking everyone else is thinking the same thing, ie maybe more pressure. that ain't gonna matter. And the elk will have been hunted for the past three re- weeks by archers and muzzleloaders. I,
2: yeah. mean, I, I, I really like the way he structures the questions because I, I think he's got really good points and, and, uh, you know, it makes you think, yeah, absolutely. You got pros and cons, like he's mm-hmm. saying at the beginning. I got um, something
0: for him, Luis. You ready?
2: Yeah, go for it, bro.
0: Don't worry about the mule going blind son. Just load the wagon. go hunt man that time of (laughs) year is the bomb son yeah just go hunt man
2: yeah (laughs) one thing also to keep in mind is that uh, um maybe after the muzzle loader you know if you're going for a big bull you you may have to be mindful that's going to be tougher as well just because the way he's kind of protected around cows is that correct joe yeah it's a little more different a little more challenging a bit uh, more challenging at that front, and we to. show you where he's at. I and all you. I've all I've seen and all I've done is hunting with you guys. Uh, you know, early season, and I've seen how they can be vocal and how many opportunities there have been. Yep. And again, I do have a big advantage, and I'm hunting with you guys. But uh, it's the point is that it's very doable, and you can still uh, get you a, a, a big bull if that's what you're after.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, I, and I think he's after any bull. When I read before, I, he said so uh, he said he'll take either, any elk.
0: So, hey, Joe in Colorado, can you hunt with an arch? Can you hunt with archery equipment during muzzleloader season? Yes. Man, yes. dude, I'd i'd have my bow with me son and then my buddy that's calling for me or whatever he'd have the smoke pole with him <laughs> you know <laughs> if that's allowed uh, i don't know if that's allowed but i mean gosh dog, no you man.
1: you have to have a muzzleloader license to use a muzzleloader but gotcha. uh and, and the thing i'm going to tell you too is that muzzleloader those hunts are limited in colorado in certain areas so they're not in mm-hmm. every area with that so i would check that out as well but i'm early season and uh you know, like, uh, you know, I I hate that muzzle muzzleloader in the middle of archery. I think that needs to be moved. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. But, it's, uh, it's you amazing. know, the whole thing. The whole thing about vocality is it's, a, like Gilbert said, man, just go hunt because that's a stab in the dark. There's so many mm-hmm. things that can affect that. This year, guys, you know, thought they were in the prime time and elk were quiet and uh, mm-hmm. or they were just, it was so hot, they were bugling early and in the trees. And so they just weren't hearing them, even though they were bugling. So, I mean, that that's you know you can say it's going to happen and you're right i mean it should be more um vocal around there but i tell you i that early season we have killed a lot of elk so i'm i'm early on that if uh if archery okay i agree
0: i agree Mm. and then look if you go if you can't get in on the archery archery deal early and you can get in in that muzzleloader season during the equinox oh man you're gonna have an awesome time buddy it's uh it's it's amazing I mean it's they'll keep you up all night bugling it's crazy how how sexy that is man Uh,
1: That but that muzzleloader hunt is like yeah it's right there around the equinox but I I tell you I I, gosh I I like the way New Mexico does it where there's a break after the archery and it Mm -hmm. really lets those guys get going and then you're back in the woods like October 6th when they're really going nuts so (sighs) and i i think it's so much better that way put in for new mexico <laughs> yeah man yeah <laughs> and,
0: uh, he's got a little b section here joe he says as mentioned before we'll take any elk hunting peak rut seems like a good time to pull in a satellite bull with some lost cow and regathering uh-huh. ewes. and uh we can find larger groups of elk for sure i'm just not sure if strategy plays well where i've where we've hunted in the areas we've hunted you know he says uh, there are low overall numbers with pretty high bull to cow ratios uh on that data that he's been looking at which was a 2019 data mm-hmm. though the note uh this may be artificially high he says
1: 41 uh, to 100 uh, is uh, that's a heck of a ratio almost two to one
0: almost two to one mm-hmm. he said in my experience bulls are usually only keeping a group of three to six cows maybe due to the high overall number of bulls and, uh, relative and young the young age
1: class yep. yeah the young age class yeah
0: due to the large number of hunters he said i'm wondering if the area with many more elk with lower ratio would be better for this strategy trad uh this strategy to play out
1: uh you know, again, kind of depends on the age Can't class. You know, there's there's a lot mm-hmm. of variables there with that because, I mean, if you have low numbers with uh with uh, a low a low age class in that too, those cows are just gonna kind of settle, in there, and uh, you don't have as many. So there's gonna be bigger groups with the cows, and there's not enough competition. Yeah, mm. I don't know about that. I I'd, I'd really have to chew on that a little bit. I I I think um the higher the cow ratio. Uh, if your age class is the same, I, I like the competition. At least you you have bulls that are going to try to go fight and take bulls from other bulls. They're, you know, it's it's going to be better. And the the thing I like about it, if you go to that high um, bull to cow ratio and you go in. and and they have a lower age class bull with those cows, now you have the ability to go in there and scream like a huge mature bull and throw challenges (laughs) out and pull those cows away, bringing that younger bull over to you because those cows are stuck with a choice, man. They're kind of like, they're the only kids in the school, man. It's, they, it's a small school system. They don't have many choices. But you get out there and all of a sudden you have a big boy out there that sounds real mature and real aggressive, those cows will pull off. So
2: I think I like the higher ratio, the better, no matter what. There. Yeah. So now, um, I'll have to give it out, give it to Mr. Saw- Sawyer. Um, I think the questions are great and I'm always, you know, happy to see guys really doing their research and thinking their hunt out and planning it right and and just doing their homework. So um, very, very cool stuff, man. Thank you for writing. Yeah. So our
1: our last question for tonight, man, before we get out of here, is from Jason Turner from Florida. And and Jason says, guys, I love the show and have been a faithful listener thanks to to the whole crew. He says, I have two questions. First, and we'll handle this one first. I often hear y'all ribbing each other and having fun. (laughs) Just, Just wondering if there are some bloopers during the show that we don't get to hear. If man, they only knew, and he
2: and he said that today, and <laughs> today was probably today. the biggest <laughs> day where <laughs> the biggest bloopers took place. I mean, <laughs> we
0: were, we were, we uh were two button out.
2: I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was it, bad. It know, was bad. To I produce mean, at it all, it'd be like. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> yeah, it I, was pretty rough, man. And Chaff in the background was like, "Well, take 200. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, take two hundred and
1: fifty. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yeah. So, it was bad today.
1: I, I'm trying to look because I actually had a, a blooper from from last week, and oh. uh, uh, I think it was yeah, I think it was last week, and uh, and. I, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna share my screen. So if any of you guys, I
2: I don't know go. how well it's going Uh-oh. to play, Uh-oh. and I don't know if you guys can hear that. Hey, Joe, you all need to understand, Joe does all this stuff in the background without us knowing. This is like we have yeah. not seen what he's about to play now. i mean got no this, clue what can, he's going to do. Can happen.
1: so, uh, I'm, so you guys got to tell me if you if you hear audio on this. If not, I'm gonna.
0: Oh, oh boy,
1: I gotta find a way to do this. <laughs> so, I'm gonna share my screen. Let's Thanks, see. Jason. And uh,
3: oh, here,
0: we, oh, go.
1: here oh, we go. Big big
0: O is in the scroll on big, the screen. Big O is dialed up, boy. Hey, look, if you're I, not,
2: yeah, obviously, in order no, to be able to see this, you no, guys no, need to oh, go to oh, the gosh, YouTube yeah, channel. Kiss
0: because, you it, here comes. So, I'm I'm <laughs> just a little bit off. <laughs>
1: Let, I I'm wondering if you guys if you if you hear it though because got have, if not I'm going to have to put it on uh the next time we get on here for the, but let me see if you hear it.
2: No. Thank no? God we
1: can't. <laughs> no, you Far
0: didn't hear.
2: Out. it? Barely hear it. sounds oh, like
0: very faint. Very faint, Joe. Uh, let's so see if you can uh, tree falls in the woods does it hold make on, a noise? Hold on. We're,
1: we're going to try some here. <laughs> Hug your
0: babies, kiss your broadheads. There it was. Y'all saw it right here.
1: We're going to have to start that from the beginning here. Here you go. Down here (laughs) in Texas,
0: we like to close with this. You know, husbands, hug your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Kiss your broadheads.
3: It's an age thing that is really affecting us all. The
2: only one that I is do. actually keeping his school year job, But yeah, uh, yeah. Don't I, kiss your broadheads, guys. You there you cut. go, Jason. Please do not do. do this at home. I do y'all get a kick out of that. Y'all ready? Here we go. I'm <laughs> like, please don't do this at home, guys. Don't kiss your broadheads. Uh, that you may get you cut, you know, maybe with like broken lips and stuff like that. Jason Listen,
0: if I told you we had a blast doing this, it'd be an understatement, man. I mean, these guys are our brothers, yes. Do we (laughs) rip each other? Unmercifully, man. Uh, When Manano's here, it is like Mutt and Jeff and – uh, you know they are going at it like crazy so absolutely we uh, we give Joe all he wants on the editing side
2: I promise <laughs> and, and you today, today we oh, were all God. on our tears and we yeah. were all crying I was wiping we were... my tears off my, my face <laughs> and uh, trying to kind of keep my cool and trying to read because I couldn't even read straight and uh, yeah so and, and we uh, don't we really don't
1: edit very much but uh, <laughs> when we're trying to do an intro episode, gonna... it, this one will and, take time and it just extends it out for you guys yeah you don't need to be here that all the time so no and like,
2: yeah and you're right i mean we barely there's not much editing um like major editing that? but no. uh, we're gonna give joe a lot of work today today is yeah, gonna be bad for joe
0: he's gonna, he's gonna earn his keep today oh the gear
2: oh, well i think yeah. that's right. so chad uh, there's a
0: second part to this chad what's up
3: What's that? There's, there's a the second part, part to the question? Jason's, yeah, that's, Jason's
0: uh, uh, question.
3: Well, I know you guys use the uh, – Yeah, He says I'm. saying, guys, all the, I'm uh, curious about uh, the gear uh, you have with. Uh, what's it called? Yeah, uh, he said,
0: yeah, <laughs> he said I'd love to see a yeah, gear the, dump. He said, but until no, then, no, what no, gear the, the, you guys use that you can't live without?
1: Oleo, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. onyx no 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 yeah. so all right so let's, let's start this from the beginning again. wait wait let's let's start this from the beginning <laughs> so chav uh, so gilbert do more that bloopers again. gilbert do that again get get chav going
0: okay Hey, so Chav, uh, there's a second part of this question right here. He says, uh, "I'm curious about the gear you guys hunt with." He says, "I'd love to see a gear dump, but until then, what gear did you guys use this year that y'all won't be without next year?"
3: Well, I know the Zolio is big for yeah communication.
1: Yeah, yeah especially with uh, you and ahead. I, huh, Chav?
3: Yeah,
0: fantastic stuff. Because we could talk to we could talk to we could talk to Chav back at at, at base camp in Cimarron.
3: Yep. Yeah, yeah. Our to, families. I was yeah. able to keep up with what the action that was taking place. You know, Every was day. several several miles away. So,
1: and what, you what he's talking about. Check it out. He's talking about, Jason, is we had a satellite messenger device called Zolio and it, it pairs with your cell phone and we were able to send messages, text messages. If the person on the other side had the Zolio app on their phone, we could send a text message of up to a thousand characters, man. And, and with Luis having one and me having one, we were able to, as we hunted in two groups, we always made sure one group had it so we could communicate. So the safety factor, the ability to say where we were going and Talk to each other during a hunt, um, helping with strategy, all of that stuff was huge during the hunt. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that was. Yeah, safe. and then, and then too, the, the, yeah.
2: the other so. person does not need to have the app downloaded. I mean, it's <laughs> easy to download; us free. But you can just receive right. it on text messages, and also has the ability to uh, send quick checks with your location and SOS.
0: SOS. It was so cool. I got to, I knocked my bull down, and the first person I text was Chav because you know, I knew he was he was on waiting at home and you know pulling for all of us I texted him first and told him man it was the first thing I did pop my phone out you know got the zolio was hooked up I texted him and I texted my wife I mean it was <clears throat> such a cool thing to have and then I got to text the guys hey man knocked one down here we go and it was in a rough place so everybody knew where we were at to come get to come help
1: yeah it was pretty cool so any of you guys have anything you use this year that uh, for the first time that you're going to make sure you use next year? The hot shower. Oh, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that, thing that, was that a wasn't hunting gear. That was, <laughs> yeah, camp, a,
0: that right. was that's, camp
1: convenience, man. Joe, yeah, I, that's right. Joe,
0: I know you like something, and I'm going to lead you right into <laughs> it, buddy. Go right ahead, man. Tell us <laughs> so, what you so on uh,
1: i'm it. actually wearing it now i was never <sighs> a vest guy and i i started wearing a vest while i was hunting and i found it was just awesome because um you're welcome yeah yeah gilbert gilbert wears a vest i it's not one like this man
0: (laughs) no it's much bigger omar the tent maker made it
1: but but you know the thing (laughs) slim size the thing i liked about it is is my arms aren't always a deal it's just my chest if i have a little coolness in the morning Mm -hmm. and it's an easy unzip plus it has these big chest pockets that were perfect for my calls, you for bet. the cell phone, you know, where I had quick, easy access on there. And and for me, when I'm hunting, I like quick, easy access to stuff. I don't want to be searching for things. I have some place where I do my pat checks and I know that mm-hmm. I'm there and I really like the vest. So th- that's been huge now throughout my guiding season, everything. And I think the other thing, um, there were two things that I use this year that are going to keep going with me is I used um, a first light merino um, layer. It's a thin merino mm-hmm. that I used, and I use it in September hunts hot. I use it in um, winter hunts cold. That layer is amazing. It's cool in yes. the summer. It's warm in the winter, and it really doesn't get odored up fast, and I found that that was a huge plus, and the last thing was I went to Phelp calls, Phelps Calls this, this year, and Man, I just, uh, I just loved them, and I, I liked uh, their selection. Uh, I liked how their tone, I liked their longevity. Um, I liked so much about them that, that those are three things. That Zolio, um, well, actually for my vest, the Merino from First Light, and Phelps calls that um, it'll be with me again next year.
0: And for me, the coup de grace was a fire at camp.
1: <laughs>
0: First time for everything, Joe. And, and Manano would uh, second that, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, uh, it was all good, man. We got to warm our bones up that last night and do our podcast. Had Chav up there. He wished there was a, a bigger fire. I <laughs> like froze to death,
2: didn't he, Chav? More, more of camp comfort. It's the buddy heater. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, and, okay, and so, hose that
0: works in it. Yeah, as yeah. you
2: can tell, Jason, everything's about being comfortable at camp these days. But... The older oh, yeah. you get
0: the more it, it imposes its will on us.
2: Jason, yeah. please understand I come from ten degrees above the equator, brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's hot. All right, yeah, we
0: want to close this out, man. Guys, it's been awesome. Again, you know, fellas, if you like what we're doing, uh, y'all please subscribe, rate and review us. You gotta go to Apple Podcast or iTunes to review us. And you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros dot com. And just a reminder to all our listeners, if you like If you'd like to put your question out on our our podcast and have it answered on the show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Another unbelievable show, Joe. Lots of content for our brothers that are going to be hunting elk here towards the the end of the season and the late season elk hunting. Uh, I think these guys are going to start whacking them and stacking them and putting them in putting them into picture books. Guys, keep sending us your photos, man. We love it on Instagram. Uh, You know, keep, keep sending that stuff out. Keep looking at our YouTube page for more content. Luis been loading some things up uh, and and we're going to start. You know, deer hunting here in the next few few weeks, and so we'll have some more of that stuff loaded up on on our on our uh, our YouTube page of some hunts with our kids and stuff like that. So, uh, Joe Chav, uh, looking forward to seeing you guys. Hopefully, we can get together before the years the years yep. out. Um, but as we say down here in Texas, husbands kiss your wives, wives kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broadheads sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk. See, I and knew
2: you could do broad it, heads. <laughs> Don't kiss your broadheads. Don't kiss Make your broadheads. Make sure heads. you don't do that at home, okay? <laughs> hey, guys, peace, peace.
0: Peace.
1: peace. <laughs>
0: You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh. Tune in to West Marines Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.
1: I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life.